Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On. I'm your host, Max Chavik, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman, with another preview episode. And Dalton, this is one of the biggest preview episodes we're ever going to do, man. So I'm telling you guys right now, for all you guys watching this, if you work on Saturday, call in sick. If you are planning on cleaning your house, live in your filth for another day, and for some godforsaken reason, you have a wedding to attend on Saturday, do not show up. Fall wedding should be illegal anyways, so you know your severed relationship with that family member or relative or friend is worth it because this Saturday in College Football Dawn is unfreaking believable. Absolutely. It's why we have the best job in the world just watching it, right? Uh, <laughs> six games where ranked teams match up, plus Florida State Clemson. You know, you could argue Clemson should still be ranked. I know the Duke loss was rough, but just seven massive games and a few other good ones that we that that we can't even get to today it's it's going to be an unbelievable weekend absolutely so you guys know that you know in these preview episodes we talk about the five best games of the weekend we can't get away with this episode without talking about seven of them because seven of them are that massive and as you mentioned six games between ranked teams this weekend that's tied for the most in a regular season weekend since 2017. So in the last six years, this is tied for the most ranked games that we're going to get in a weekend. So like I said, you better your plans on Saturday better just be you sitting on your couch all day and watching these games because it's going to be an unbelievable weekend of college football and you better buckle up. But like you mentioned, the first game that we're going to talk about is the one that's not between ranked teams, but it is still a massive game, which is number four Florida State at Clemson, which is at noon uh, on ABC. And Dalton, really, the the storyline for me is, was this a fluke? Was last week a fluke for the Seminoles? Uh, I'm going to say sort of. It's... It's not. It's not that the world is is crashing down on them, but they. I, I have concerns about their front seven. We talked about it on mm-hmm. Monday. Their run defense grade right now is 104th in the country. Um, yeah, I mentioned Monday that their edge players are not holding it down off tackle. They they're really struggling uh, on the edge. They're really struggling when their linebackers get in space in the boot game and coverage when they have to move laterally. Um, it's a little better between the tackles uh, when they get to get downhill. But the part where Florida State's front seven is struggling to stop the run is not a fluke. And this is not the week that they want to be going into struggling on run defense with Clemson so run heavy and wanting to play complimentary football and trying really to hide Cade Klubnick from losing the game for them. Yeah, absolutely. We mentioned last week, Boston College, they beat them 31-29. to They were 25.5-point favorites. Boston College, the third-worst Power 5 team in PFS power rankings that you can find at pff.com. And like you mentioned, the Eagles in that game had 4.6 yards per carry. FSU is the worst team in the Power 5 in terms of EPA allowed per rush. And like you mentioned, Will Shipley, Phil Maffa, that Clemson running attack is deadly, man. Right now, the Tigers have 24 runs that went for 10-plus yards so far this season. That's tied for fourth most in the country but Dalton do you have a specific matchup in this game that you're really looking forward to um it's it's really that I mean and and the other one if we're going to Florida State side of the ball is that Clemson has only given up one one completion of 20 plus air yards this year and that was on a trick play on a trick play against Florida Atlantic with one minute left in the game so with quarterbacks throwing the ball they have not given up a deep ball this year, and we know Florida State likes to get vertical. Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, obviously. The big key for Florida State is going to be to stay patient. Mm-hmm. Clemson's going to sit back. They're going to try to slow this game down. They're going to make Florida State earn it. 
They're not going to give up deep balls. Even when they lost to Duke, they did not give up a single deep ball. Riley Leonard had to check down or he had to take off running. So I think a big thing is Jordan Travis has to not force the ball downfield, take what they give him. And Clemson really struggled in that Duke game with Riley Leonard running the ball. Travis is going to have to take off and run. There's not going to be a ton of deep shots down the field, especially with the way Clemson wants this game script to go. They want to run the ball. They want to prevent big plays. They want to kill the clock. They A lot of the same ways that we saw this game, I expected before the Boston College game to go in and pick Florida State by somewhere, possibly by two, two touchdowns or maybe even 17, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And their front seven has me really concerned because a lot like the Florida-Tennessee game last week, it's not a good matchup for Florida State, yeah. especially if Clemson, can, if Clemson can find a way ahead early. So, you know, Travis has to – he's going to have to lean into that script a little bit because if he tries to force deep balls into this coverage, you're going to play into Clemson's hands. Um, you just don't – you you don't want to try to force anything against a defense that is really good still. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had some lapses against Duke, but I think also they ran out of gas – they they can't play too much. They can't force themselves to try to play over the top on Clemson. It's it's not going to happen. Absolutely, and I think that's a great point that you made. This kind of does feel like that Tennessee Florida game a little bit. You know, Florida hosting it, Clemson hosting it. It's going to be a, a raucous environment, and it doesn't match up well for the Seminoles in terms of that run defense going against Clemson's run game. And also, like you mentioned, if there's any defense that can slow down Florida State's uh, offense. Is it is Clemson in the ACC? It is Clemson because Clemson has a, a great linebacker unit: Jeremiah Trotter Jr., Barrett Carter. I think they're the top two linebackers in this year's draft, according to Trevor Sycamore, lead draft analyst at PFF. Also, I had Clemson as having the third best secondary in the country entering the year. They're sixth in the nation in EPA per play. They're also the the eighth best in terms of run defense grade. So, like you mentioned, we mentioned before, Jordan Travis, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Trey Benson is the number one running back in the draft, according to Trevor Sycamore. Uh, both. Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson are first-round receivers, according to Trevor Sikama. Jaheim Bell is a top-five tight end in, in the country going into the year, in my opinion. And Lawrence Tofili, great pass-catching back as well. But Clemson has the defense to give them issues. Now, I don't think they'll outright stop them in this game, but they will slow them down. And if Florida State's run defense does not hold up, it could be a long day for the Seminoles. And it, it, this is, again, if I'm a Florida State fan, out of I know Clemson's not ranked, and there are a couple ACC teams that are ranked, but this is the game that I am most worried about because I think Clemson matches up with Florida State better than any other ACC school right now. So, Dalton, with that being said, will the Tigers pull off the upset at home? I'm I'm gonna say no. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough and tumble game. FSU Clemson always is. They mm-hmm. always play tight games. They always play really entertaining games. Um, you mentioned all the weapons for Florida State. I think a big thing for Wilson and Coleman and Bell and Tofili's. I think he's I think he's a sleeper in this game as the guy who can make plays after the catch. Florida yeah. State's gonna need the guys to make plays after the catch. When as Clemson's sitting back, preventing these vertical passes, I think Tofili he's made a couple of plays this year that were that really turned games upside down after the catch, taking a short pass, especially against LSU, taking a short pass. I think somewhere around forty yards down towards the goal line. Um, I, I think he's a big factor uh, in the passing game. I do think they still need some balance with Tofili and Benson and even Travis in the run game. But the big thing for me in still picking Florida State, I have it thirty to twenty-two. Florida State mm-hmm. is is the difference in quarterback. Yeah. Um, if Florida State does fall behind early, it's not good. It's not the way they want it to go, obviously. But I believe Travis can bring them back. 
I, I'm not I'm not the biggest believer in Cade Klubnik. Um, there's spotty accuracy. There is it, the footwork is rough, especially when he's under pressure. He he doesn't seem you know the last two weeks it's looked better, but he's played Charleston Southern and FAU, who are admittedly both both bad. I mean they just are. <laughs> they put up 48 points on FAU, but they're scoring defensive touchdowns. Yeah, you know they got back to playing Clemson football. Oh, but Klubnik is not ready to carry them. Jordan Travis can carry Florida State when they need him to, and I think the difference, the stark difference right now in quarterback play is going to be the difference in this game. Absolutely. I got Florida State winning this one 30 to 27. That's a great point that you made because I think if it turns into a game where Travis needs to come back, I think he will be able to. If it turns into a game where Clemson needs to come back, that's a problem. That that's when Kate Klubnik. I don't know if he could pull it off, but we'll see. I, I got Clem- Florida State winning thirty to twenty-seven. Uh, this would actually, if they win this game, this would be Florida State's first win over Clemson since two thousand fourteen. It has been a long, long time since the Seminoles took down the Tigers, and I think we both think it will happen uh, this Saturday. But next game that we're talking about, Dalton, is number fifteen Ole Miss. At number 13, Alabama, 3.30 p.m. on CBS. And the biggest storyline for me in this game is can Ole Miss get healthy offensively? Because right now, that Rebels offense is banged up. Quinshawn Judkins, who I think is one of the best running backs in the country, was limited this past weekend against Georgia Tech with an upper body injury. Wide receiver Trey Harris right now tied for third in the country with five receiving touchdowns. He missed the game against Georgia Tech with a knee injury. Caden Priestcorn, who I had as a top 10 tight end entering the season, he missed all of, all of the season so far with a knee injury. And also, Zachary Franklin, who a lot of people thought would be Ole Miss's number one receiver. He was preseason first team All-SEC for us, uh, transferring in from UTSA. He has also not played yet this season with a knee injury. So, a lot of beat-up guys right now. Now, the good news is both Trey Harris and Caden Priestcorn are practicing this week. Don't know about Zachary Franklin. He probably won't be able to go. And Quinchon Junkins obviously played last week, so I'll be surprised if he can't this week. But this is a beat-up uh, Ole Miss offense, man. And, and Alabama still, as bad as Alabama's looked so far, their defense still has a, the fifth-best coverage grade in the Power Five. So uh, I, I think Ole Miss, the Rebels, really need to get healthy uh, pretty quickly. Uh, they do, and and I think a big I think a big part of it last week playing Georgia Tech, who they just had a major advantage against. I think they could play it cautious against a team like Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. They could be they still scored forty eight points on Georgia Tech, not being anywhere near a hundred percent. So I, I think they were looking ahead to this game, knowing that if anybody was borderline, they need all the all the help they can get in Tuscaloosa. They always do. It's it's no matter what Alabama looks like, it is it's hard to win out there. So. They being being healthy. Look, this was a wicked competitive game last year. Ole Miss was 14 yards from winning this game last year. Mm-hmm. They know they know what's in front of them, and they know they need to be fully prepared. And I I think there's a part of that of holding guys out against Georgia Tech, knowing you know you never like to take games for given, but knowing that they were going to beat Georgia Tech, uh, that Georgia Tech's just not prime time like that. Yeah really playing for this week, and I think I think eventually if you know if they get especially if they get um, if they get uh, Hawkins back and they get um, Judkins in there 100, percent they've had other guys step up. You've had Jordan Watkins step up. You've had yep. Dayton Wade step up at receiver. You've got several guys who are really dangerous on their offense, and if they're fully loaded, um, they may still score a lot of points on Alabama. Absolutely, yeah. And so, I, like I said, I think Zakari Franklin's the only one that I don't think might be ready to go. We'll see. But Caden Priestcorn and, and Trey Harris are both practicing this week, so that is good news for the Rebels. But uh. Dalton, is there a matchup that you're watching in this game? And I, I have a feeling it might come on the other side of the ball. 
Um, yeah, it, it's um, it's Alabama's pass protection yeah. against against Ole Miss. It, it's just it's been it is it's right now 99th in the country overall. They have against the blitz, they have a 47.8 pass protection grade against stunts. It's 28.9, which is still somehow just outside the bottom 10. But Ole Miss stunts and blitzes at well above average rates. I believe both in the top 30 in the country. Wow. Um, it, look, it doesn't matter. Milrose playing again, which makes me feel a little better about Alabama, you know, sticking with the right quarterback this week. But if they can't pass protect, if you can't pass protect in the SEC against teams that are going to blitz you, they're going to play games up front on you. And the more that Alabama shows they can't block it, the more opponents are going to do it. It's it's Alabama's pass protection. Look, they're going. McClellan's going to be able to get. They're going to run the ball. You know, last year he ran the ball a decent amount. Alabama last week, McClellan was the only reason they scored any points. But they they have to pass protect. It doesn't matter how mobile Milrow is. Mm-hmm. They they need to be able to get passes off from a clean pocket, and and that's that's their biggest problem right now. Um, on, on the other side, I'm just going to throw one thing on the old Miss yep. offense side. Uh, they need to finish drives uh, more than any individual matchup or anything like that. Like that. Last year against Alabama, they only scored three touchdowns on six red zone trips, <sighs> and two weeks ago against Tulane, they were only one for three. They have issues finishing drives. Had they finished drives last year. They would have beat Alabama pretty easily last year. It was a theme of the game, really. They didn't play a bad game. Judkins had 135 and two touchdowns. Dart didn't play a bad game. They were ahead with 10 minutes left, I believe it was. They were ahead in that game 24 to 17 in the fourth quarter. They need to finish drives more more than anything. They're too there there's times in big games where they're too big play reliant and when they need to be workmen like down the field. Because Alabama, the same, you know, kind of the same thing we just talked about with Clemson complimentary football Mm -hmm. play defense don't give up big plays run the football you know keep Milrow out of harm's way Ole Miss has to finish drives when they have opportunities the only to be honest with you the only reason they didn't beat Alabama last year is because they just didn't kill them when they had a chance to so they they have to finish drives that's what I'm looking for on Ole Miss's offense as well yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Alabama's passing attack. That's, that's exactly what I'm looking at against Ole Miss's defense in this game. They're 91st in the country in terms of EPA per pass. Tommy Reese has not been great. Uh, they have the fourth highest pressure rate allowed. You see right there at nearly 30%. The receiving grade is still not very good. Jalen Moreau has been a, a roller coaster so far this season. He had a 53.3 passing grade against Texas with four turnover worthy plays. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I do think Merrill, like you said, is, is the correct quarterback to put in this game. Um, but the Rebels, man, that defense is is no joke. I mean, they have a, a pretty good defense. They have a top 20 highest graded defense in the Power 5. Also, top 20 in run defense grade, too. So if Ole Miss had a you know porous run defense, we would say, okay, Alabama is just going to run read option with Milrow, McClellan, and just win that way. Ole Miss doesn't have the, the run defense that you could just run over, man. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. And I think Jalen Moreau is going to have to do something as a passer in this game. He's going to have to do something. At, at Alabama offensive line, like you mentioned, with Ole Miss running the blisses and stunts, they're going to have to step up in this game as well. So uh, ultimately, Dalton, will Alabama step up? Will they get back on track? And will they beat the Ole Miss Rebels on Saturday? I actually don't think so. Even at home, mm-hmm. um, they were they the way they played offensively against USF last week. Even with the other two quarterbacks in there, was just embarrassing. Um, yeah. I, it's it's and now to put Milrow back in there, rusty after a week off. Uh, it, it's I I have a hard time if this game becomes a shootout, believing Milrow can go in there and throw for three three fifty four hundred if they need him to. Ole Miss can really score. 
they they're I think they're six in the country right now in total offense. Lane Kiffin, and let's be real, Ole Miss is going to be motivated. They finally believe, we've mentioned it Monday, they've never played in the SEC title game, ever. (laughs) And with Alabama looking the way they look, and LSU being, I think we believe, really good, but but I don't know that they're definitively better than Ole Miss. We're not going to know that, I think, until they play each other. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss feels like this is their time, and this is the game. This is You could argue this is the biggest regular season game uh, in the last probably 10 years at least for Ole Miss. I mean, this is this is their best chance to finally jump Bama, um, and, and I think they do it. I'm, I'm going to – last year Alabama won 30-24. to 24. I'm going to flip the score around and go Ole Miss 30-24 to 24 here. I think, I think Alabama's offensive line and quarterback situation is way too concerning for me to pick against a team who, you know, in Ole Miss, who put up 24 on them last year, were ahead late in the game on a team that still had, you know, last year they had Will Anderson, mm-hmm. Toto, they still had Brian Branch and Jordan Battle. And, and you know, Bama's defense, they play fundamentally sound defense. But other than McKinstry, there's not really like a ton of superstars on the team right now. And against Judkins and if these other guys, if the receiving core is healthy, and you know they just they just as long as they finish drives, I believe Ole Miss is going to win the game. I'm going 30 to 24 Ole Miss. Yeah, I'm taking Ole Miss as well. I'm taking Ole Miss. Alabama's favored in this game, so we're both picking the upset. So if you're betting men, take Ole Miss money line in this game. I got Ole Miss 29 27 in this game. And uh, what's going to be interesting, Dalton, is that I looked it up. Three, only three of Nick Saban's former assistants have gone on to beat him at, as head coaches of other schools. Jimbo Fisher did it when he was at Texas A&M, uh, I think a couple years ago. Kirby Smart, obviously, in that national championship game did it. And Steve Sarkeesian, a couple weeks ago, did it. Lane Kiffin, I think, will become the fourth ever for, former Nick Saban assistant to take down Nick Saban. And also the fourth ever, the second in three weeks, man. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think Ole Miss is taking down Alabama in this one. I'm really, really excited about that game. But I think most of the country, Dalton, is excited about this game. Number 19, Colorado, going against at number 10, Oregon, in this game. 3.30 p.m. on ABC. Dalton, is the hype too much for the Buffaloes right now? No. Uh, no, it isn't. Uh, you, you've got a team. One, they're one, they're exciting. They're fun to watch, right? Mm-hmm. So that's... They're the most. They're probably the most entertaining team in college football right now. So I can't say that's unwarranted. But no, I think number nineteen for them sounds about right. If yeah. you tell me Colorado's the nineteenth best team in the country, I don't have any issue with that. And mm-hmm. and I think the part you're the part that carries that is is Shador Sanders. We talked about it Monday. He is you you could argue he's a top five. He's one of the top five quarterbacks in college football right now. Yeah. Um, he's he makes every throw against every coverage clean pressure blitz not man zone everything he he just has all the tools and i you know i've said this before i i think i think he has the highest football iq of any quarterback in the country i think i think mentally his composure his ability to read defenses um and and just just the cool under pressure uh, is unbelievable and it's what's you know now all of a sudden with travis hunter hurt this game's a 21 point spread for oregon Mm -hmm. um I, I I just have a hard time thinking a team with Shadour Sanders the way he's playing right now can lose by 21 to anybody. I, I, I just you have a quarterback that good and you're never out of games like that. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And yeah, I mentioned before, Colorado now 3-0 to start the season. That is two more wins than they had all of last season already. So an incredible job at Deion Sanders. I mean, they had that game, they had college game day in their game against Colorado State when last year that game would have been between two of the worst teams in college football. And you had The Rock there, you got Lil Wayne there, you got Rob Gronkowski on the sideline. A lot of other celebrities were there as well. And Colorado State is still the ninth-worst FBS team. It's just that Colorado is that electric. Um, but, again, they needed two overtimes to take down Colorado State, uh, even though they were 23-point favorites. This week will prove how legit Colorado is and how legit that Heisman conversation is for Shador Sanders, which you and I both agree is pretty legit right now. Um, yeah, man, Oregon's defense right now 14th in the Power 5 in terms of EPA allowed per passing play. So Oregon's got a pretty good uh, pass defense, so Shador Sanders has his hands full for sure in this game. But what is the matchup, Dalton, that you're looking forward to the most in this game? It has to be Oregon up front in their running game against yeah. Colorado's run defense. Colorado's run defense is the 10th worst graded in the country right now. Oregon's rushing grade is fourth, and they're second in the country in yards per carry. I believe it's 7.2 yards per carry right now they're they're putting up up front. So it, it's that. It's, it's yeah. Oregon being the bigger, more physical team and running directly at them. Um, when, you know, Nebraska, I think, actually, of all teams, put up the best formula against Colorado. You you line up. You don't. You don't pull guys and get lateral. You don't try to stretch them east and west. Colorado's athletic. What they don't like is when teams just line up and run right downhill at them. You talk about man and duo concepts, double teams up front, mashing people down against man concepts. Colorado's run defense is the worst in the country with a run defense grade of thirty-seven point five. Oregon has that. They don't use it a ton. They use it some. You know, they're usually thought of as a zone team, but they do use some man concepts like that some. I think they'd be smart to lean on that this week and just run right downhill, right down Colorado's throat because that's the one clear weakness on Colorado's team. You know, they, they, they're a little inefficient running the ball themselves, but that's but the theme of it all is that Colorado, they are athletic, they are small, and Oregon's offensive line should, should be able to, to run right directly at them. I would not make this a Bo Nix versus Shadour Sanders game. I think that's the scenario where Colorado wins. Oregon, they need to run the ball early and often and get an early lead. They need an early two-score lead in this game by the end of the first quarter. Running the ball, they need to establish that time of possession. You know, there is no reason a team that's running for seven yards of carry right now shouldn't be able to run on Colorado. 1,000%. I, exactly what I had, too, is that Colorado's run defense against Oregon's run game. And also just, you know, right now, without Travis Hunter, I mean, that secondary I still think is really good. But, I mean, you lose your best player in that secondary, Travis Hunter, Bo Nix in that Oregon offense has been able to produce explosive plays, man. Troy Franklin, one of the top receivers uh, probably right now in the, in the NFL draft. So, And also, Oregon, you see right there on the graphic, they have a 94.6 pass blocking grade so far this season, which is the best in college football. And I believe they haven't allowed a sack or a hit so far this season, which is absolutely ridiculous. And Colorado hasn't has only had four sacks all season. So Bo Nix should have time back there. And like you mentioned, Bucky Irving right now, the star running back for Oregon, he has been unbelievable so far this year, a- averaging 8.4 yards per carry, seventh in the country for running backs. Bo Nix has a nearly 83% adjusted completion rate over the last two years. That leads all quarterbacks in the country. 
it's going to be it's going to be difficult for Colorado to to contain this team, especially without Travis Hunter, who, like we mentioned before, out for the next three weeks with a lacerated liver um, that he suffered from that cheap shot as well. So yeah, it's going to be difficult for the Colorado's defense to to slow down Oregon in this game. So ultimately, Dolan, will Colorado's offense be able to keep up in a shootout, and can Colorado uh, take down Oregon and, and continue the hype train? This was this was honestly um, this was the hardest game of the week for me to pick. It was, um, and it sounds funny because I think of all these games, it was the widest spread by far. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I don't, I still don't see any reason it should be a twenty-one point spread. Now, I, I get the script where it could get there, yeah. where it's basically Oregon just runs wild on him for like three fifty, four hundred yards. Okay, I, I think, I feel like Coach Prime is going to be prepared for that exact thing. I think what Colorado wants to do is get in the shootout. Mm-hmm. Let's get let's get in a shootout. You you want to you want to trade you want to trade quarterback blows. You want to trade big throws and vertical passing and all that stuff. I think Colorado that's where they want to go. If this becomes a quarterback game, this game's going down to the wire. Yeah, because I I, I think and Bo Nix is a, is really good, but I think Colorado has the quarterback advantage in this game. Yeah, uh, Shador Shador, what he's doing right now is unbelievable. Making every throw on the field. If he sees coverages as well as he has the first three weeks, he can make things happen even without Hunter. He's just, it's it's so cerebral the way he approaches the position. It really is like an NFL quarterback. My, this was so hard for me. Even now, I'm going to regret this. I know I'm going to regret it. I'm going to take Oregon. My, My football sense is telling me to take Oregon. I have them 41 to 38. They're they're better in the trenches on both sides. They have enough weapons uh, um, to make things happen. You mentioned Irving at over eight yards a carry. Oregon being able to do things that are within the foundation of their offense, running straight ahead and Nick's with the play action off of it. I, I wouldn't take too many deep shots if I'm Oregon. I, I'm trying to. I think they. I, if you go tempo, I think you go tempo to continue to run the ball, gas them, gas them out up front. Yeah. But I, I'm not. You know, if if they have any thoughts about <clears throat> making some statement early in the game and 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 showing that Bo Nix is better than Shadur or anything like that, they're playing the wrong game. You do not want to get into into the aerial shootout with Colorado. I don't care if Hunter's in there or not. Sanders. He'll find a way to win that game. Um, but I, I, I think, I honestly think if they had Travis Hunter, I probably would pick him to win. Um, but, you know, I believe this game was going to be closer than the spread before when it was 14, 14 and a half. I believe it's definitely going to be within 21. I just don't understand that. I, 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 I know what they're looking at with that disparity we're talking about in Oregon's running game and Colorado's D line, Colorado's D line is if that's an uphill battle. That's as uphill battle as it gets right now. Oregon's yeah. O line is huge. But I'm going to take Oregon because my, my, my football sense tells me to, and I know I'm going to hate it when Shador does something crazy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hate the fact that I went with it. I know you've been Mr. Shador Sanders so far this season, Dalton. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I got Oregon too. And, and he, he very well could play a fantastic game and, yeah. and, and they still lose it. You know, this, the big thing for Oregon, I, they need to take a lead, a big lead into halftime. If that game, if that's a one score game at halftime, I think they're in trouble. I think yeah. Oregon's in trouble. I agree. I got Oregon winning this one 40 to 30. So I think that the, I agree with you. The three touchdown spread is, is one of the wildest spreads I think I've seen. So again, if you're a betting man, 
bet Colorado plus 21 because I think that is an insane spread. Um, but I, I think it was a little too much of an overreaction to that Colorado State game. I, we mentioned this in the Monday episode. I think that was more about emotions running high and why that game was so close than anything else. Um, this game, I, I think, will be a little bit closer. I think Oregon's going to win 40-30. to 30. Uh, It's going to be a shootout. And like you said, I am worried about uh, that defense for Colorado holding up against Oregon's run game because I think that is a major major mismatch and it could be it could be tough for Colorado to keep up with that and also they don't have the depth man they have really good stars in Colorado's defense and Colorado's team in general Dion's even mentioned it he's like we don't have the depth right now that's a problem when Oregon's running down your throat you got to make substitutions you're not going to have good players coming in for those other yeah. you know, key players. So that's going uh, to be interesting. So we both have Oregon in this game. Another Pac-12 game. There's actually three Pac-12 games that we're talking about. Three ranked games in the Pac-12 conference this week. The, se- the second one we're talking about is number 22, UCLA, at number 11, Utah, 3.30 p.m. on Fox. Storyline for me, Dalton, in this game is, will Cam Rising and Brant Keithy be able to go? Because right now, those are the Utah's two best offensive players, quarterback Cam Rising and tight end Brant Keithy. Without them so far, both of them are covering from torn ACLs that they suffered a year ago. Without them, Utah's had the 11th worst passing game in terms of EPA per play. Also, Utah's offensive line has allowed the 6th highest pressure rate in the Power 5 as well. And that's an issue because UCLA's defensive line is loaded, especially at edge defender with the Murphy Twins and specifically Laatu Latu, who right now is the number 8 prospect in the 2024 draft, according to Trevor Sycamore. And UCLA right now, third in the country in pass rushing grade at nearly an 85 pass rushing grade so far this season. So that's going to be a, a mismatch, I think, is, is Utah's pass protection against UCLA's defense. And without Cam Rising and Brand Keithy, that could be a big, big issue. But what are you looking for the most? What's the matchup that you're watching in this game? I'm looking for two things. Exactly what you said there. Actually, both teams really struggle in pass protection. You look yeah. at when you look at pass blocking grade. Uh, Utah and UCLA, respectively, are the sixth and seventh worst teams in the Power Five pass protecting. Uh, so I'm looking for this game to be a fist fight. Latu is the highest graded defensive player in the country right now in yep. any position. You know, it's it's a big problem. I think even if Rising is in there. First game off a torn ACL and you have to face that defensive line. That's that's rough, man. That's it's it's going to be a big problem. Look, Utah, they they scored some late points against Baylor. They put up 24 on Florida. Uh, you know, most of that early, and they had the game in hand and killed the clock the rest of the way. Offensively, it's not been clean. It, it's been it's been really ugly. The two quarterbacks they can move, but the passing has been a struggle. Uh, on that side, I, I think I'm looking exactly what you're looking for. Utah wants to run the ball and keep this game in a phone booth as long as they can. But Latu and the Murphy boys, I mean, that's they, that's a lethal, yeah. lethal defensive line to be playing, especially your first conference game. Um, you mentioned Latu could be a top 10 pick. He's been spectacular. Um, I, I, Utah is going to have a lot of issues with UCLA's um, D-line up front. And I think on the other side, uh, Dante Moore is interesting to me um he i'll tell you we talked last week about milton and we've talked about jalen milrow with with the arm strength dante moore's got an absolute hose man. yeah he can he can sling it deep he's right now 98.3 passing grade on deep balls third best in the country <laughs> what you ucla right now look it's 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 the chip kelly special right now Run it, run it, run it. Play with tempo. Keep running it. Keep running it. The minute they step up, throw it over their heads. Dante Moore 
is really fitting in nicely with Chip Kelly's system, throwing play action shots deep down the field, right? It, some intermediate shorter throws. He's got, you know, the drop back game he's got to work on, but they are a threat down the field. And Utah's allowed, you know, it's not going to sound like much. And through three games, they've allowed, they've allowed six catches on go routes, which is actually the most in the country. Wow. They are not, Utah has gotten away with some mistakes in coverage. There's been, they've, they've allowed six go balls and there were three or four more that were bad throws that guys were open. They, they, they really need to keep Utah needs to keep this game in the box because more, more can get it over their heads. I promise you, I'm telling Dante Moore is a kid with an absolute cannon and Chip Kelly knows it. And he's trying to get over the top when he sees safety step up inside of, about 10, 11 yards, he's going over the top on them. And I think it's going to be a big problem for Utah, especially we know Utah, even with rising, is not explosive like that. It's a workmanlike offense. Mm -hmm. UCLA's offense is a little more explosive, and I'm looking for Utah to make the adjustments in coverage because they've not looked good so far against the deep ball, regardless of what some traditional stats say. They, they've let several guys get behind him in the first three weeks. Absolutely. I'm glad we're finally talking about Dante Moore because I actually just put out a tweet a couple days ago of, of some of his best throws so far this season. Keep in mind, this kid is a true freshman. This is a true freshman quarterback in Chip Kelly's system. 87.4 grades so far this season, which is 17th among all quarterbacks in the country. 9.4% big-time throw rate. That is only behind Caleb Williams among Pac-12 quarterbacks so far. Dante Moore was the number three overall recruit coming out of high school. Number two quarterback only behind Arch Manning. He's proven why right now, man. This kid is special. And if you want to uh, keep a, a name in mind for the 2026 NFL draft, Dante Moore is one to keep in mind, man, because he has been nothing but spectacular so far this season. The one thing I'll say, though, and you saw on that graphic, it said first true test. It is the first true test for Dante Moore this week because they played Coastal Carolina, San Diego State, and NC Central. NC Central is an FCS team. San Diego State and Coastal Carolina have the 99th and 114th best defenses in PFF's power rankings right now. That's a far cry from Utah. That's 11th in the Power 5 in both coverage grade and EPA per pass. So first true test for Dante Moore, but everything I've seen from Dante Moore so far in these first three games is special, man. This kid is is really talented. He's going to be a, a really good quarterback, I think, for a few years now for UCLA. Ultimately, will the true freshman step up, Dalton? Will UCLA come out with a victory? I actually think so. I think I think, I think think they can go out there and win out to Utah. And I, it's a really tough environment. This is, a, this is another game uh, that you're going to see. This game, for the most part, is going to be fought in a phone booth. I think mm -hmm. the two big stats for me are the deep grade and that big-time throw rate you just showed for more. And the fact that UCLA is ripping off 7.4 yards per carry that leads the country um they're doing everything chip kelly wants to do on offense they want to repeatedly run it with tempo you know high octane in the run game make a make an explosive run here and there but that yards per carry mark is big and then more more opening this offense vertically is the best thing that could have happened for them because yeah. it just you start playing with safeties and you start playing with linebackers eyes and it causes so many issues when a kid can throw the ball deep like that. So I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take UCLA 23 to 17. I think it's competitive. It's in Utah. It's going to be wicked competitive. There's going to be moments in this game where it's a slugfest, man. It's going to be a boxing match. Yeah. You know, you've got two really really good defenses that are going to rule most of the day. But I think UCLA being a little more explosive in in the run game and the pass game 
is going to be the difference. Now, if Rising plays, if he looks healthy, it's going to be even tighter than that. Um, I know, I believe that's getting announced tomorrow, they said, if he's going to play or not. But if the backups are in there, I have a hard time seeing really how any of those quarterbacks aren't going to be running for their lives. Utah's quarterbacks right now have the longest time to throw in the power, uh, in the power five or in the country, in the power five, they have the longest time to throw. They're holding the football as well as not protecting now. So <laughs> it's, it's a problem. It's a real problem. Utah's going to have if in obvious passing situations with UCLA's D line. And I think UCLA is a little more explosive. I'm going to take the Bruins. Yeah. I got the Bruins as well. 28 to 24. I think that's a, a big matchup mismatch. Honestly, is UCLA's D line getting pressure on those young quarterbacks that Utah's got right now. Now, if Cam Rising does play, and like I said, if he's healthy, which is another question, whether or not he's playing, um, and Brant Keithy as well, then maybe I'll take Utah in this game. But I got UCLA, if not, man. I got UCLA 28-24, to and just because we don't know. We don't know if Brant Keithy and Cam Rising are going to be able to go. Um, and also, by the way, Utah is the favorite in this game. So once again, like the Ole Miss game, Dalton and I both picking the underdog. Uh, put some money on the UCLA money line, again, if you're a betting man in this game. But the last Pac-12 game that we're talking about in this one is number 14, Oregon State, at number 21, Washington State. And I misspoke there, Dalton, because I said the last Pac-12 game. This is the last Pac-2 game that we're going to be talking about because right now uh, 10 of the 12 Pac-12 members are leaving after this season. The only two who don't have a home in another Power 5 conference are Oregon State and Washington State who are meeting in this game. And also another stat that I found that I thought was pretty crazy was this is the 109th time that both teams are playing each other. This is the first time ever that both teams are in the top 25 when they play each other as well. So I am really, really excited for this game. The uh, the last two standing in the Pac-12 conference right now. Um, and it's ironic that they're, they couldn't find a home when both schools are ranked right now. So quality programs that just don't have a home for next year. But Dalton, ultimately, what are you uh, – looking forward to most in this game um this is this is a weird game this is a weird game oregon state runs kind of a very old school offense they, they brought in Uyagalale, who looked great in week one but has kind of struggled gone back to struggling the last two weeks and and oregon state um they get it's they're weird they get under center they get under center at the fourth highest rate in the country they play a ton of two tight ends and it's very, very basic. They want to run off tackle, and they want to run off tackle, and they want to run you over, and occasionally they take a play-action shot with Uyagalele, you know, a deep crosser, a deep ball. He's still got a cannon, but the accuracy is just so spotty that they can't rely on him to just drop back. So Oregon State is one of those schools. If they could run the ball every single play, they would. Yeah. Um, they, they just – it's inconsistent offensively. You know, they, the things they do right – Right, they're in the t- top twenty-five in both run and run defense grades. And the things they do right, they do really right. They are massive up front. I think you mentioned they're in your top five or ten offensive lines. They they're just massive up front. They got tight ends that can block. They they have a formula. They they want to run it down your throat. They mm-hmm. want to stop the run. They they want to play. You know they don't want to give up big plays. You know they haven't played a, a wicked opponent yet. They've played three opponents that they physically dominated. Mm-hmm. They. They don't want to get in a game where Uyagalele has to carry them because I think they're still even afraid to allow him to do that. I would like to see him more involved in the run game, actually, but they just don't get in the shotgun. It's really just not their game. Um, But I'm looking at Washington State's defense against that. 
They right now they have look, Jaden Hicks' safety is fun to watch, man. He yeah, is he's great. The third highest he's the third highest graded defensive player in the country. Mm-hmm. He he comes up, he flies to the ball, he plays some linebacker, he plays strong safety, free safety, a little bit in the slot. He's all over the place. He's got that like Jamal Adams, Kyle Hamilton versatility to him. He's all over the place. Washington State a 91.4 run defense grade right now. They held Wisconsin, who is running a new offense. It's not the same old Wisconsin offense. They held Wisconsin at 91 yards rushing. Wow. 90, 91 yards rushing. And, you you know, any other in, – in Wisconsin, you would think any other year, oh, Washington State's going into Wisconsin. They're going to get run all – give up 91 yards on the ground to Wisconsin. So their defense is a real thing. It's not the same old, like, soft air raiding three-man front three-man front team in Washington State. This – this is going to be a, another one, much like UCLA and Utah. This is going to be a fistfight, man. And and I think, you know, they hold the big thing to me. Oregon State right now is the highest graded team as overall running outside zone, right? They want to get off tackle. They want to get out to the edges. But, you know, Ron Stone Jr. and Brennan Jackson are really, really good on the edges for Washington State. That's going to be a fun matchup to see if they allow – Oregon State to get off tackle because that's that's the goal. Run off tackle, just run off tackle till we can't anymore. Mm-hmm. And if they can't do that, I'm not sure where Oregon State's offense goes from there. Yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, I have I had, or, entering the season, I had Oregon State as the number three offensive line in the country, only behind Michigan and Georgia. And that looks pretty good so far, man. Oregon State's offensive line right now they have a 78.3 run blocking grade, fourth among Power Five teams. Not only that. Not only is the offensive line creating holes, Damian Martinez is taking advantage of them, man. He right now, the true sophomore, has an 85.9 rushing grade this season, fourth among Power 5 backs, also third among Power 5 running backs with 8.6 yards per carry so far this season. But like you mentioned, Washington State's run defense has been really good. 91 yards to Wisconsin. Yes, they have a new air raid-ish offense. They still have Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi, which are two of the be- one of the best running back duos in the country. They only had 91 yards in that game. Uh, only allowed right now, the Cougars only allowing 2.6 yards per carry. And like you mentioned, that run defense grade is tied for fourth in the Power 5. This is going to be, like I said, a fist fight. It's going to be a-, a battle one in the phone booth, I think. Ultimately, Dalton, who wins this massive Pac-2 showdown? This is this is a tight one. This took a long time to think about because you got a lot of you got two very similar teams. Um, mm-hmm. One of them in Oregon State wants to they want to run it down your throat. Uh, they're a little bit they're kind of like Iowa West right now, if that's the best <laughs> way I can put it. Uh, they want to just put two tight ends on the field and run down your throat and play good defense, complimentary football. Washington State um, goes about it a little differently. They still run a spread offense. I really like Ben Arbuckle, their new offensive coordinator. He's the youngest offensive coordinator in the power five and his play calling right now is elevating Washington state's offense. Cam Ward last year had 21 turnover worthy plays and he only had, I believe it was, he had multiple turnover worthy plays in eight of his 13 games last year. And what he's doing is getting to play safer football. Now he's got still got four through the first three games, but he's not giving games away. I think that was the first lesson for, for Washington State was we need to put easier throws in this offense. And he's doing that right now. Lincoln Victor with 24 catches in the first three games. He has the most catch. He has the most sorry. He has the most yards in the nation right now on short passes. They are getting the ball out quickly. And Cam Ward has clearly been told, look, either get rid of the football on your first read 
or take off running. Last year, there were too many plays where late in a play, throwing the ball back across the field, throwing it into tight windows. If if he plays, this is a, they remind me a lot of what we saw from Missouri last week yeah. in – Look, Brady Cook, man, be safe with the football. We can win big games. I think Cam Ward's a lot the same. I think I think Oregon State, they, they're going to have issues in the slot defending um, Lincoln Victor. He's he's really good. He is, he's as good a route runner. He's not like the most explosive guy, but he's as good a route runner as there is in the country right now. He, he can really – his breaks at the top of all, all these six-yard routes he's running, it, it reminds me a little bit of, actually of Sky Moore coming out. Kind of Kind of a similar – Kind of a similar skill set in the slot, and he's really hard to defend. Washington State, they just want to make positive plays on offense and rely on their defense. Um, I think they'll be able to do that. I'm going to take – this was a hard one. This was, this was probably the next hardest game to pick. I'm going to take Washington State at home 24-20. to 20. Wow. I think this is the first time – I think this is the first time we're disagreeing on this. I, I have Oregon State this one. I got Oregon State winning 31-24. to 24. I think the, the physicality on offense is going to be too much for Washington State to handle, even though Washington State's done a good job this year. And I think DJ Uyunglele makes enough big-time throws to lead Oregon State to a victory. And this would be, if Oregon State wins, this would be their first road win over a top 25 team since 2012. So I think Oregon State's going to show up in this one, and I think it'll be a, a close game, but I do think Oregon State's going to come out on top so the first time we're disagreeing hopefully Dalton as a Penn State fan we're not going to disagree in this game number 24 Iowa at number 7 Penn State next game we're talking about 7 30 p.m on CBS and obviously Dalton the way Iowa wants to win football games is to make it as ugly as possible if not as hideous as possible yeah um Iowa State you know Penn State's really really struggled with illinois last week more than the score would tell you illinois gave the ball away five times penn state i believe was only at 4.7 yards per play they were out of rhythm big time they got they we we talked about penn state's offensive line going into it they didn't they didn't play well illinois defensive line outplayed them they they got a lot of pressure on aller there wasn't a ton of there really wasn't a ton of big lanes in the running game um it's Penn State's offensive line is a problem for them right yeah. now, and they, they really struggled to get into a rhythm against Illinois. And Iowa, Iowa honestly, is a better version of Illinois. They, they're, they're the number two graded defense in the country right now. They are number five in both run D and coverage. Yep. Uh, they, they do everything. Iowa, I mean, they, Iowa, Iowa's Iowa. Look, they, they play elite <laughs> defense, and they play subpar offense, and I think we've known this for the entire time that Kirk Ferentz has been there. It's not going to change. They're going to they're going to make games ugly, and they're going to run. I hate to call it this, but kind of this dinosaur offense with with not much speed and not much dynamic things happening. You know, it's it's kind of you know I call Oregon State Iowa West, but Iowa doesn't even have the weaponry that Oregon State does. Um, <laughs> they're they're just trying they're just trying to rely on turnovers and get short fields. And the one thing I like for Penn State in this game is that even in a game that was a real struggle against Illinois for a long time, Drew Aller just doesn't put the football in danger. No. He doesn't. I mean, he's he's somewhere around 170 dropbacks in his career. He's only got one turnover-worthy play, and that was against West Virginia um, earlier this year. But he I, – I was actually – I came away really impressed in that game. There wasn't much to be impressed with with Penn State's offense, but I came away really impressed with Aller's, um, for as young as he is, almost refusal – to put the football in danger, you know, take off and run, take the sack, throw it away, put the, you know, ball placement, put the ball in a spot where it can't be picked off. Um, I think that was, I think it's not talked about enough with Drew Aller. We talk about the arm talent and everything he can do, but I think 
you know, preventing bad plays and, and avoiding mistakes is it's actually a more polished part of his game than I thought it was. And I thought it was a big part. It's a big, quiet part of the reason that they have they came away victorious last week. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned before, Iowa right now, still, after having the one of the worst offenses in the country last year, they're the 11th worst Power 5 offense this year in terms of EPA per play. Bottom 10 in rushing grade, bottom 10 receiving grade. Also, Penn State's defense, man, is no joke. One of the best in the country, in my opinion. They had five turnovers forced against Illinois last, last week. Eighth best in the country in terms of EPA per play. Also, important to note, star tight end for Iowa, Luke Lachey, done for the season he's the number four tight end in the 2024 nfl draft it was just announced pretty recently that he's done for the season with right ankle surgery so that iowa already is struggling with offensive weapons you take away their best offensive weapon that's a big big time loss so again we mentioned it before i mean penn state's offensive line though has really struggled, man. I mean, they, they have a 61 run blocking grade on the season, the front five do, tied for 82nd in the country. Uh, Drew Aller has been the only bright spot because obviously the run game can get anything going with that offensive line blocking the way they're doing. Drew Aller has been the one that's, that's hoisting up this offense with a 90.4 grade that's tied for 11th in the power five among quarterbacks. And you mentioned before, I mean, that Iowa defense, man, Phil Parker, I ranked him as the number one defensive coordinator in the country entering the season. He, he does nothing but produce elite elite defenses they have another one this year like you said second best defensive grade in the country only behind ohio state who we'll talk about in a little bit uh cooper DeGene might be a t- is a might be a top 15 pick right now he's a top 15 prospect on our big board uh by trevor sycama so this is gonna be it could be ugly it could be ugly drew Aller is gonna again have a lot on his shoulders in this game will it be too much for drew Aller though dalton will it be too much and will penn state go down and will you break my heart by picking the hawkeyes here I, I won't. Not this week. Um, <laughs> it, and it's not so much that, it, it, you know, too much for Aller. Look, it's a tough task. Anytime you play Iowa, yeah. this is the game you get, right? But I, I think it comes down more to Iowa's inability to score. I mean, it, it just – it's every year. It's every year with this. I'm taking Penn State 23-10. to 10, and, and now you lose – now losing Lachey – Look, tight ends are everything in Iowa's offense. You know, their two leading receivers right now are tight ends. And you lose Lachey, who, you know, last year with Laporta as the one-two was really good. And this year, Lachey taking over as the one was still really good. It's just they can't afford injuries like that. They already couldn't score. Now, one thing I'm looking for for Penn State, you mentioned DeGene and Sebastian Castro, too, is actually grading higher than him. Iowa's corners, this secondary is always terrific. And this year is no exception. Penn State's wide receivers last week, against an Illinois team that lost a lot of guys. They only had Penn State's receivers only had 94 yards and they dropped five balls last yeah. week. You they they need they need to be better. And there was other times Illinois Illinois with the newer kids that they have in there felt comfortable playing man-to-man coverage against Penn State and there were times where they could not separate. They had to find they had to scheme it up and find things in the screen game, crossing routes underneath, get the ball out quick. This is it's going to be an even bigger problem this week. Iowa's better in coverage than Illinois is. Definitely. So they're, they're receivers. You cannot drop five balls in a game. There's no way. You get maybe one or two. You can't drop five balls in a game and have only 94 yards as a wide receiver group. 
Absolutely, and you mentioned that Illinois secondary, man. They, they had three guys from the secondary taken in the NFL draft, one of them being De- Devin Witherspoon, obviously Sidney Brown as well, Jatavius Martin as well. It still looked like those guys were out there against Penn State because Penn State couldn't get any separation. And going into the season, that was, again, one of my concerns was that, one, the offensive line besides Olu Fashanu is not good, and two, the receiving court does not have a proven dude. And so far this season, I still don't think they have a proven dude in that receiving court. So, yeah, it scares me. But I am picking Penn State in a close one. I think they're going to win 24-17 to in a mostly defensive game. I think it's a 14.5-point spread. I just don't know. Uh, you you have them winning by thirteen, but I mean, unless Iowa, like you said, like puts up single digits, it's going to be tough for Penn State to cover that fourteen and a half point spread. I think so. I have them winning yeah. by seven, and this one is going to be close. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think fourteen and a half, you get the hook there. That's tough. That means you got to you got to really beat them really by three scores because um, yeah. you know fifteen and things are weird. No, I I just. The bigger part to the, you know of this to me the, the the spotlights on Aller and Penn State and and considering what's around him what I saw on tape against Illinois I, I kind of have some sympathy for Aller I, at some point here the rest of them I, I it I hate to tell you but it feels like in a big game in an Ohio State type of game that line it, it's going to let them down and their receivers they have to figure something out here at receiver um this game this game more to me though it, it, the result of it is about iowa's inability to score um I, I what just curious what would the score be if iowa were to win oh, 10 to 7 yeah well what, what are we talking because yeah. if, if that's if you're talking they have to go into penn state and win a game 10 to 7 13 to 10 some field goal game nine to six a la you know lsu and bama that time the eric reed right lsu game i, I mean I, how many I, I sometimes i look at games and i go how many scenarios are there for a certain team to win and for iowa i go there's like this one it's they i mean you have to they have they're relying on that defense to pitch a borderline shutout having just lost arguably their best offensive player and you've got Drew Aller, who's the 12th highest graded quarterback in the country, and Cade McNamara is 86, and completing, I believe, 54% of his passes. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's just not a ton of scenarios here outside of, honestly, defensive touchdowns, probably, where Iowa comes away with enough points. You know, yeah. I get 14 and a half. It's just, it's rough to pick a lot of teams like that against Iowa because the defense is so good. Yeah. I mean, but. I, I don't know, and, and if Aller is going to not turn the football over, I'm really just, I'm not finding any scenario where I could pick Iowa to win. And also, I mean, we didn't even bring this up yet, but not only will Iowa's offense struggle because Penn State's defense is that good and Iowa's offense has is, is really not been great so far this season, it also they're going to struggle because this is the whiteout game. This is the most hostile environment in college football right now, Dawn. So I don't know, man. They're going to they're gonna really struggle with that uh, that whiteout crowd, you know, not be able to hear anything out there. So I, I know I'm being a little bit biased when I say that, but I, I think the whiteout does play a, a little bit of a part in this game. Um, but you mentioned that uh, that Ohio State defensive line giving Penn State troubles. We'll see if they can do it to Notre Dame, man. This is the biggest game of the weekend. Number six, Ohio State at number nine, Notre Dame, a matchup between two top ten teams. Dalton, what are you looking for the most in this game? Man, oh, man, this there's a lot. There's a lot. Um the big thing is that Ohio State last year, their front seven, for all the stars that there were on their offense, you know, and C.J. Stroud and everything, Harrison and Buka and everything like Ohio State's front seven was the dominant unit in the game last year. They only gave up 76 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now they, they return 
they return Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimoloau, who are both among ed ru- edge rushers in the top five in passing uh, pass rushing grade. Right, so you've got a dominant defensive front. You've got you've got Chambers and you've got Eichenberg at linebacker. It's Ohio State's front seven outside of the receivers because their receivers obviously with Harrison and Buka and all they're they're superstars. But their front seven is the next most dominant unit on their team. Yeah, and agreed. it made the difference last year. Look. You know, everybody's talking about McCord and uh, can he go in there and be great? Uh, he doesn't have to be great. Look, C.J. Stroud wasn't great last year. Uh, he only he had 223 yards and two touchdowns, and he played a clean game. They don't need McCord to be great. They need McCord to be clean in a similar manner that Stroud was because this front seven, now Notre Dame's offensive lines are always great, right? Joe Alt and the gang you know, and all that, but um, Sam Hartman is not good under pressure. You know, yep. I think he's he's got. A, I think you have the numbers on the clean versus pressure. I think it's somewhere in the 40s under pressure. If you mm-hmm. get to him, he's got issues. And, and Ohio State's D line and their front seven, um, they were the dominant unit last year, and they really didn't lose much this year. Uh, they're loaded up front, and Notre Dame's going to need balance. I, I still don't think they want Hartman to get in obvious passing situations. Not against this team. I mean, there's other days. The NC State game was a different animal, but this. This Ohio State front is what's going to keep them in and winning football games. It, I think I think it might be the best front seven in college football. I think it really might be, man. That that defensive line might be the best in the country right now. I mean, they have four guys, four players on that defensive line that are in the top 150 prospects for PFF on our big board right now. And Tui Malawau, Michael Hard Jr., Jack Sawyer, and Tyleek Williams. And right now, they've only given up 2.3 rushing yards per attempt. And you mentioned oh. that Sam Hartman grade. Uh, Sam Hartman, 91 grade when kept clean. That drops to a 44.3 when he's under pressure. So if Ohio State can, can get pressure on Sam Hartman, that could be a problem. And right now, Ohio State has an 87.3 pass rushing grade as a team that leads all Power 5 schools right now. But... Notre Dame on offense has Joe Alt, who hasn't given up a pressure in over on over a hundred pass blocking snaps so far this season. Yeah, he's one of the four tackles in the country who's done that. And also Blake Fisher is an NFL guy, probably at right tackle. The Notre Dame offensive line, though, otherwise is not great on the interior. So I think that could be a problem for them. Um, and also what could help Notre Dame in this game, they have the nation's best receiving grade, 88.6 so far. And Audric Estime is the nation's leading rusher and also the highest graded running back in the country too at 92.6. So that could be a problem. I don't think uh, Notre Dame last year had a, had a running back like Audric Estime. That's probably why their, their run game really struggled against Ohio State. This year could be a little bit better with, with how well Estime is running the ball right now. Yeah, for sure. And, and they're, they're, look, they're going to need everything they can get. Look, Ohio State's deep. They they have 12 players on their defense who've played 50 snaps and have a grade above 70. They're, they're just absolutely loaded. Their coverage grade is somewhere in the top five, if not number one. Mm-hmm. I think it might be number one. That you the one thing Notre Dame has to do, you, you got to stay on, got to stay on schedule. You got to stay on script. Do not force anything especially late in the play over two and a half seconds against this Ohio state team. This is, this is as good a defensive as they've had in a few years. Uh, the last two or three years, their defense has not been up to this standard Their Ohio state's going to win games on defense and, and Sam Hartman, you know, look, if you get in trouble, throw it away, punt the ball, make McCord go 80 yards. Um, because the off Ohio state's offense, it, it's just an entire, you have to keep yourself in the game more than anything against Ohio State. Hartman, 
you know, I don't think he has the best reputation in big games. You know, he looked great against NC State. But for Notre Dame, NC State's not a big game. This is the big game, right? And he's got to be cool under pressure. And moments, you know, we talked about, like, with Shadur and with Drew Aller, when he gets in, when those two get in trouble, they make the safe play. Yeah, I think Hartman's going to have to make the safe plays in this game. Be really, really patient. If you force anything this this in this game, you'll be at a disadvantage again. And, and last year, we've seen it now, especially now that he's at Alabama. Last year, Notre Dame walking in with Tyler Buckner was at a disadvantage starting the game. <laughs> and Hartman cannot do the same by turning the football over under pressure. Yeah, I completely agree. And yeah, I, I you know we've talked about that before. I think Notre Dame's offense is going to be has a lot of has a lot of problems right now facing this Ohio State defense who like you mentioned right now they do have the number one coverage grade at least in the power five at, at a 92.4 and uh, the other thing I want to talk about Dalton quickly before we get to our predictions is is Kyle McCord and I think this is a big storyline for me is, is time for him to prove it man because the raw stats for Kyle McCord look great but I don't think he's done too well when you look at the advanced metrics he has a 65.1 pass grade you see right there four big time throws and four turnover-worthy plays. And as you see at the bottom line right there, he's played a weak competition so far. They play Youngstown State, which is an FCS school, and then two programs that are outside the top 80 of PFS power rankings in Indiana and Western Kentucky. And keep in mind, this guy has the number one receiving core in the country with or maybe the two best receivers in college football in Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Ibuka. Uh, and a really good run game to rely on, too. Now you're facing Notre Dame. Notre Dame so far this season has the lowest passer rating allowed in the country. 50.9 so far this season. And also has only allowed a 50% completion percentage. I think Notre Dame's secondary is good enough in this game that Harrison and Igbuka, like they've done in the first three games, they won't be able to win on talent alone. I think McCord has to make some big boy throws in this game in order for Ohio State's offense to, to get anything going as the Fighting Irish right now. So McCord's McCord's a fun watch on tape right now. That's you know the, you're looking for progress, and you yeah. know you mentioned it. Ibuka and Harrison last year had 90 and 56 yards in this game. Okay, no, look, Notre Dame's going to play good defense. They just do. Um, McCord McCord is a fun watch because I, I'll say this: you do see progress. Um, and now it's little by little. What he looks like is a guy who's getting his first legitimate action in college football, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's it's. I, I think his skill set, he's not quite as accurate yet, but his his skill set's not that different from Stroud. Um, here's here's what's going to happen is if he gets good protection, and and he throws with conviction. Okay, this is a big thing. You really see there's times when he's unsure of a throw. You can see his whole delivery change. Yeah, he, he just he there's there are times the big thing for him right now and and what's going to be interesting in this game. There are times where he he's a little nervous to throw the ball into tight windows, and the windows are going to be tight in this game, even with Harrison and Abuka and Stover and everything else they have. The windows are going to be tight against teams like this. He's a little nervous to throw the ball in tight windows when you know the, the those four big time throws you mentioned. When he when he's confident in the throw he's making, even in a tight window, he can he can make big throws. Uh, he reminds me actually a lot of um, uh, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami. If he's protected and he steps in and he's sure of it, he he can he's got a cannon too, man. McCord he 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 put a ball over the top of Harrison I think two weeks ago that I mean only maybe ten quarterbacks in the country can throw. Uh, it, it's just he's got it. 
he he's got the talent in there. He doesn't move a ton. Um, a, a lot like Stroud and a lot like Van Dyke, who I just mentioned. He doesn't move a ton. They they get him going in the boot game a little, but they want him to get rid of the ball quickly. He has to throw with good footwork, and he has to be sure of what he's doing. I, if if I'm an Ohio State coach, and I know this is a, this is more field and analytics and the things we do, I, you know, I tell him, I'm like, listen, man, just just be yourself and be confident. When he steps into throws, he makes some terrific throws, and when he's unsure, you can see it in his delivery. His delivery looks different when he is unsure of a throw he wants to make. And the big thing right now is that Ohio State's pass protection is spectacular. You know, McCord yeah. also, I got with a 30, uh, 38.6 grade under pressure. He's not going to play well under pressure. He doesn't move well, and he kind of throws off the back foot a little bit. He gets a little nervous. But Ohio State's only allowing a 12.2% pressure rate. Which is, which is unbelievable. If you're in the low 20s, that's great. If you're at 12.2, guys barely be in touch. Now, it's going to be a problem with Notre Dame having two of the 10 best interior rushers in the country in Howard Cross and Riley Mills. You know, you got, you know, Ohio State brings it from the edges. Notre Dame brings it from the inside. Yeah. And those pocket quarterbacks they always used to talk about with Tom Brady, you get the inside rush going on them and you make them move off the spot. It's a problem. So it's a matchup problem. Ohio State's pass protection is a big thing in this game. But McCord, you can see the progress. Um, it's it's slower. You know, we've seen just so many freshman quarterbacks in recent years come in and just, boom, just tear it up. You know, Aller and Trevor Lawrence and, and, and uh, I'm probably missing however many guys. But we've seen this trend of freshman quarterbacks who are just ready to play. And Kyle McCord, he – it's it's a work in progress. It is. They yeah. have to work through, and they have to win games like this through the growing pains. They do. Um, they're there, but he's he's capable of doing what they need him to do. The big thing for him, and you mentioned it with the weapons, lean on the weapons, man. Yeah. Just make the easy throws. Lean on, you've got the best receiver in the country. You might have the second best receiver in the country. Travion Henderson's great. Mm-hmm. Cade Stover's an excellent player. Lean on those guys. Don't try to don't try to fit balls in windows that you know that are impossible. Don't try to elevate their their play. Doesn't need to be elevated. They just need the football. Yeah. Right. So they they're perfectly look. McCord is capable of playing a clean game, a similar game. Like I said last year, straight out two twenty and two touchdowns. I think McCord is perfectly capable of playing a similar game. You know, if Ohio State's pass protection holds up. Which it which it should reasonably right they have a really good offensive line, and and McCord I see I see a confidence thing I see a guy who needs reps and I see a guy who sometimes just gets nervous throwing the ball down the field into into tighter windows and the windows are gonna be tight in this game yeah absolutely and I want to bring up real quickly because I I agree with you Ohio State's offensive line has been spectacular so far but. Entering the season, this was a major, major question mark for me, and I know how great they played so far, but again, they played subpar competition. Now I'm interested in seeing how it goes because I, I that I think Ohio State's O-line was, to me, that that was their kryptonite going into the season, and I've been really impressed by them so far, but again, I want to see it against Notre Dame now, and I'm excited to see it this week, but ultimately... Dalton, obviously, there's great matchups. This is the biggest game of the weekend and what should be one of the biggest weekends in college football, maybe history. Ultimately, who comes out in this massive showdown? I'm I'm actually I'm going to believe in McCord, and I'm going to take the Buckeyes. I, I think 31 to 27 sounds right. You got two good defenses, but you also have two teams with playmakers. Um, so it, it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be back and forth. You're going to see moments on both sides of the ball for both teams where the momentum shifts. Um, but I I, I kind of like 
you know, and I know I, I think it was good for McCord that he got the three easier games first. Yeah. Put some stuff put some put some plays on tape, even put some mistakes on tape, right? The first game against Indiana, there was there was a throw back across the game the grain on a rollout that was intercepted that was just awful. Mm-hmm. That's one you don't want to put on tape twice. So get some of those nerves out of the way playing those first three games. Get yourself, you know, it's a soft three and oh. It is, but that's why they're playing Notre Dame out of conference. Now now it's go time, right? I, I, I think he's capable, if protected, of doing the things that they need him to do. He is not he's not ready to carry them, right? If they fall behind in this game, it, it's gonna it's gonna get hard. Now they have the weapons where they could come back, you know, and maybe that maybe that jolts him. Maybe that just that sense of urgency would jolt him into success. But I think Ohio State's front seven. Yeah. Until until we see further, and from what I saw last year, is still the dominant unit in this game. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's going to be tighter than last year. Ohio State was clearly the better team last year, right? Um, yeah. Notre Dame's quarterback problems and their issues up front against this front. Um, it, it was just they just couldn't score. They couldn't finish drives. They couldn't run the ball. I think Ohio State wins. Like I said, thirty-one twenty-seven. I think the weapons in big moments, uh, he has to allow the weapons to play. You know, you don't have to, he doesn't have to elevate them. They can elevate him. You know, you mentioned the traditional numbers look really good. Well, that's how it happens. This is those guys elevate <laughs> yeah. you, right? And Ohio State needs balance. You got to run the ball with Henderson. And, and, you know, they don't have with Stroud the last couple of years and with McCord, they've kind of gotten used to this thing where they don't have any quarterback run game. Um, so it's a little bit harder, but they still need to find it. They need to bang their head against the wall a little bit. They need to get to the edges. Um, Notre Dame's a lot better on the inside than they are on the edges. Um, if they can get to the outside, even some jet sweeps and things like that will help them. Um, but I think I think the weapons and, and Mar- having Marvin Harrison out there a second time against this team, and I think Ohio State, I, I just I have a feeling their defensive front is, again, the best unit in this game. Yeah. So we're going to disagree once again. I have Notre Dame coming out on top at home. I have them winning 30-27, to so basically almost exactly the same score as you just flipped. Uh, I think Kyle McCord is going to make a few costly mistakes in this game, and I think the big difference, like you mentioned last year, was that Tyler Buckner was playing quarterback for Notre Dame, and for a good amount of that game, I know Ohio State pulled away at the end, good amount of that game, Notre Dame was still in it. You got Sam Hartman in there now, who is one of the best quarterbacks, maybe one of the best quarterbacks they've had maybe since like Brady Quinn, I would say. Uh, It's going to be tough for Ohio State, man. And I think that Notre Dame is going to force McCord into a few mistakes with that secondary they got. And I think Notre Dame, for the first time in 87 years, is going to beat Ohio State. So that's what we got. This is going to be the the most fun week of college football, maybe until the college football playoff, man. I mean, this is a loaded, loaded Saturday. We just previewed seven games, six of them between ranked teams, Dalton. So, man, I am I am so excited to watch this slate on Saturday, man. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, and and the fact that some of these games were so hard to pick tells you how good they're going to be. It's and it's all day. It's from it's from noon to midnight, man. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a circus. It's going to be you know it was a circus last weekend for different reasons, but this this is going to be the college football circus. That's really uh, the, the man. The competitive juices couldn't be flowing anymore in these games. You, I mean, the ranked teams, Ohio State, Notre Dame, top ten, both of them, Florida State, Clemson, such a massive rivalry, and then obviously Colorado is just I, you see did you see the the rating stat on Colorado Dude. that it was ESPN's highest rated late night regular season game ever yeah against nine, Colorado State 9.3 million uh, yeah I just just nuts I, I mean then I 
man, oh man. I, it's, I think because two of those games are on at the same time at 2.30, I think, and I, I don't know how you end up I don't know how you even watch both of them. I have no idea. Dude, there's three uh, three three thirty games that we previewed in this. Three three thirty oh. games. It's gonna be tough. You got the Colorado, Oregon, you got Ole Miss, Alabama, and you got Washington State, or excuse me, UCLA, Utah is the other three thirty game. So this is gonna be a loaded three thirty slate. And then also the seven they have three games at seven, seven thirty, seven thirty. So it's loaded, man. It's gonna be you're gonna have to have multiple TVs, get your computer out, watch a game on your computer. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough, man. And, and yeah, I mentioned that uh, nine point three million. I said it before. If Colorado wins this game against Oregon, Oh. That game against the USC will probably be higher rated than the national championship game last year at Georgia and TCU. That there might be more yeah, people yeah. watching that game, man, than any than maybe even this year's national championship game. Oh. We'll see, man. Uh, it'll it'll probably be. They were talking about five hundred dollar tickets to get in last week to the Colorado <laughs> State. It'll 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 probably be twice that. It would probably be a thousand dollar ticket to get in that game. I, it's gonna really. be absurd, but I, man. Yeah. This is going to be a, a stupid, stupid good week of college football. So, again, you better not have any Saturday plans besides watching college football this weekend because this is the weekend to, to sit down on your couch and watch 12 straight hours of unbelievable college football. But that's what we got for our preview episode. Our review episode we cannot wait for. Obviously, we're going to go over pretty much all of these games probably again. But, uh, Dalton, man, this is, a, this is a great episode. So for producer Eli back there, for Dalton Wasserman, I'm Max Chadwick. Enjoy this Saturday of college football because this is historic.